welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the George R. Brown Convention Center attending the Rockwell Automation's 2021 Automation Fair event. What an exciting event that features keynote presentations, interactive sessions, panel discussions, and of course the main floor showcasing the latest innovations and solutions from Rockwell Automation and members of their partner network. This year, they're doing things a little different, which is offering a new hybrid experience. So for the folks unable to attend here in person, they can attend virtually and still immerse themselves in the event. I've been fortunate to have two wonderful guests on today's show. I'm sitting here with Ryan Smeglick, Global Head of Revenue and Brand Protection at Rockwell Automation, along with Michael Klein, Director of Global Industry Strategy and Marketing. And for the listeners out there, you can tell there's some background noise. We're actually here at the event right now live. What a cool place. It's actually the attendance for it being, you know, I, I could still say we're somewhat in COVID. I don't know. Like we're getting over it. Like, you know, it spikes and it drops. But to be able to come here in person and Ryan, I know you're walking around shaking hands saying, oh, it's nice to see people in person. Mike, I'm sure you probably ran into folks you haven't seen in a few years, maybe a couple pounds lighter, maybe a couple pounds heavier. You Definitely. never know. <laughs> but how does it feel to be here in person? And, and when was the last time you guys had a actual live event? I think the last time we had a live event like this was Automation Fair in 2019. So I'm, I'm fairly new with Rockwell. I've been here for a year, so I'm a COVID transfer. Okay. And so it's been great to come to the event not only to meet some customers, but also meet people for the first time. Yes, yes. So I've been very fortunate. I work with a lot of great people here. This is a great company, great people, great technology. It's, it's got everything. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, well, I mean, you hit it on the head, right? It's all about people. Yeah. And during COVID, it was, I was talking to Ryan about this earlier. It's, it's so hard to build culture and create depth within a relationship when it's all over Zoom and everything else. And so I bet now you're probably excited to get 2020 and 2021 you know, out of the way so you can really get out there and engage. You're on the strategy and marketing. So doing the face-to-face handshake stuff is obviously important for you. So Ryan, and so you came in from London, right? Yeah, I flew in from London. Okay, um, how was that? It was easy. Really? <laughs> it was okay. easy. It was much easier than I thought it was going to be. You know, everything's a little bit different now, the experience of, of international travel, but it was it was pretty painless. Good. Well, that's good to hear. You're here and obviously everything's everyone's happy and healthy. And so did you, was like customs was pretty straightforward? Like, did you have to present documentation or like, what, what does that look like? Coming into the U.S., I just had to show a negative COVID test within like 72 hours of my departure. Other than that, no issue. I'm fortunate enough that I am a U.S. citizen, so okay. I had to go through less 
best hoops and other people would have to go through. And we just opened up our international traveler here in the U.S. a few November eighth. Yeah, yesterday. Um, yeah. So to be honest, my my flight was pretty empty. Yeah. No, <laughs> so I bet it spread out. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. You got to lay down and have a nap. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, before we keep going, I do want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing the components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the WellPad operations. TechNip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full-frack automation. To discover more about the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. Also, we're doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston. Check out OGGN.com for more details on all our events. And also, please make sure to look at all the other OGGN podcasts. We have a ton of new podcasts that are continuing to come out that cover everything from new technology, ESG, leadership, anything you can think of. We've got a podcast for it. And if we don't, hit us up on LinkedIn or reach out to Mark LaCour or myself or anyone on the OGDM team. If you've got an idea for a show, we'd love to hear about it. Awesome. So, gentlemen, so Ryan, you're not originally from London. And if you are, then you've got a unique accent. But where are you from originally? (laughs) I'm originally from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, so a few hours drive from our company headquarters in okay. Milwaukee. Right. But a bit unusual here at Rockwell's. I've I started my employment with Rockwell in the United States, but only spent about 10% of my career stateside. So okay. living in Singapore and, and most recently London. That's fantastic. And so but being from Wisconsin, I mean, let's just, you know, I know it's all business here, but let's talk football a little bit. Are you a Green Bay <laughs> Packers fan or you what? Have to, you have to be. Right? You have to be in Wisconsin. Yes, I have been to a few games. Not a sport that I unfortunately follow much any, anymore. We have a, a different type of football over in London. For all the UK or Europe, we're talking football with the points on the end, not the round football. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Anyway. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been able to go, lucky enough to be able to go to a couple of those games. Obviously, everything's been pretty limited over the past few years. Um, Of course. So, but are you a true football fan, soccer fan? Not a true one, but I lived in a place in London where we had a very famous team. I lived in Tottenham, and so they have a big sports team called the Hotspurs. Okay. And so have made my way to a few big games there. I really enjoy the energy, but unfortunately don't follow the sports. All right. Well, folks, obviously Ryan's not a huge sports fan, and that's okay (laughs) because this is not a sports podcast, thankfully. (laughs) Anyway, so. So well, what I was going to ask then, so I'm curious, if you had, you know, let's just say, okay, Friday night's coming up. If you had the opportunity to do anything, what would the ideal Friday night look like to you, assuming you had all the money in the world? What would you do? In London? Anywhere. Anywhere. Wow. Okay. I would definitely need to have friends involved. So it would definitely be a social gathering. Okay. To be honest, you can't beat a few drinks and a good meal with people you love. Where so. would that be? Well, in the UK, we have a great pub culture. So these are kind of like your neighborhood bars. I think a little different than, than the US situation where you kind of have a you know, downtown central area where everyone kind of goes out. In the UK, yeah. we kind of have these neighborhood yes. pubs. You can go get a bite to eat or, or, or grab a pint yeah. or a non-alcoholic beverage if you're so inclined. And so that's good enough for me. Hey, you know what? That's, that's good. Get drunk with friends. I like that. <laughs> Mike, let's move on to you. Where are you from? Originally from Cleveland, Ohio is where I was born and raised. Okay. Um, are you a LeBron fan? No. Okay. No. All right. Moving on. Yes. <laughs> he helped us get a win, but that was it. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's dead to us now. Okay. Um, I like that. So I sound like a typical Clevelander, right? A little bitter. <laughs> No, I didn't suspect that. I didn't suspect that. No, no, no. So, but I grew up in Cleveland, and then my dad, with his job, we moved all over the place. So I like to say Yankee by birth, Texan by choice. Yeah. I love living here in Houston. How long have you been here in Houston? I've lived here twice. So the in total, gosh, 
25 years or so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Would you consider this home or do you I still? I would. Yeah. 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 Okay. My wife is originally from here. Oh, nice. So yeah, this is home for us. So you got some deep roots here yeah. then. Yeah. Right on, right on. So again, and then I have to ask you, what's the ideal Friday night look for you, Mike? So mine's going to sound a little different. Mine is sitting at home and doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> right. I have a daughter that's in band. Uh, okay. She's in ninth grade and marching band. And if you know about that, this is the time of year when everything is absolutely crazy. So it's like because for sports and stuff, yeah, do, yeah they do okay. marching on for the games, but then they have competitions on the weekends too. Oh wow! So I would just this Friday. I don't have anything. It's Friday or Saturday night. And I'm the, looking forward to just relaxing. Good. What, maybe watching a live college football game. There you go. Okay, so you're a college football fan. Yes. Okay, who's your team? Penn State. Penn State. Yeah. You know, I've got some love for Penn State. When I first moved from Calgary, so I'm originally from Calgary. Okay. I moved from Calgary to Pennsylvania in 2010. I lived downtown Pittsburgh. Okay. And I definitely kind of fell in love with the whole Northeast vibe and the college football scene. Is That was when I first kind of got exposed to it. And Penn State, you know, kind of, they attracted me. And then when I lived in Denver, a good buddy of mine, Ian Myers, was a graduate of Penn State. So, yeah, I definitely, being from Canada, I feel like I can jump on any bandwagon. But being up there, seeing them play, and the culture around Penn State, I think is pretty cool. So yeah, There's uh, no experience like a whiteout game. You yeah. You never get the chance no, to go. That's, you got to go. I've heard it's amazing. I've it's seen amazing. pictures. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I follow OU more than anybody, but how's Penn State doing this year? Uh, not so good. We, nah. we had a couple of tough losses, actually. We had three tough losses. Okay. So for the national championship, you know, that's over. Yeah. But we're still going to play Ohio State, and uh, hopefully that one goes well for us. We got Michigan this weekend, Ohio State soon, and with Rockwell being headquartered in Wisconsin and also having offices in Cleveland, so I get enough ribbing from the, the Wisconsin and Ohio State people. So right, no, it's, that's uh, it's all in good fun. That is, that's what it's all about. Well, that's cool to hear, and and I'm glad now I kind of know you guys a little better, and and so we'll move on to the business because I know that's what we're here for. But out of my own selfish satisfaction, I'm really interested and geeked out about automation and and other emerging technologies. Right? I mean, growing up as a kid, anything like robotic or automation, this and that, it, it you know, it piques people's interest. And especially for me, I'm in oil and gas. And so automation for us is something that maybe isn't quite as advanced as a lot of other industries. But the cool thing is Rockwell is active in not only oil and gas, but in a lot of other industries. And I'm curious from a very macro perspective, what's the latest and greatest in automation technology that's either just been commercialized or that's coming down the pipeline? It doesn't have to be oil and gas, but I'm just curious. I mean, is there anything out there that's really kind of groundbreaking? I think the biggest trend right now is connectivity. There's so many platforms that live isolated and have stranded data sitting out there. And there's value in that data. And if you don't get it, it's not adding anything. So the biggest trend I see is connectivity. And where does that connectivity live? You'll hear things like edge to cloud. So where, you know, it used to be when you think about your computer, you had a computer on your desk and it was self-contained. Everything was inside of it. The automation industry is a lot like with our cell phones now. I can connect anywhere. And with that comes a whole host of good things, but a lot of complications too, with cybersecurity yeah. and things like that. So I think connectivity, you know, in my mind is the an integration of all these different pieces is where the key is at. And that's what customers are looking for our help with. Awesome. No, that that's a very cool answer. And that's, I mean, we, we see that too. And in, in, in my line of work, it's very very segmented and there's there's neat applications and technology kind of in their own silos but right. to be able to have everything talk 
which again, my sponsor, Technip FMC, actually does, a, does some fantastic work on the integration side. But that's really neat. And I think once everything can kind of connect and everything talks to each other, especially again in oil and gas, you may be on a drilling site and there may be 20 different companies using 20 different applications with you know each application maybe connects to you know Microsoft, the other one maybe connects to Google. And it's all this just like kind of, it's yeah, bridging the gaps between all these very unique technologies and all this data that's being collected combining it, I think, is where you're going to see the biggest value and, and sort of maybe catapult forward into the next evolution of things. But no, that that's really neat. So I'd like to get a little more familiar with Rockwell in itself. So from a high level, can you, one of you explain the history behind Rockwell, kind of how you guys got started and, and kind of where you're at now and, and perhaps where you'd like to be in the future? I think, you know, Rockwell is a hundred plus year old company and its roots are in the in the heart of the Midwest between Cleveland and Milwaukee between Allen Bradley and Rockwell when they came together. But it's a company rooted in technology, started out as hardware and is quickly shifting to software. That's where the innovation is at, is on the software side. So we're involved in any industry that is looking to do something more with their data and actually get the data mm. and make better decisions with it. We're, I like to think of us as helping companies achieve their goals of being more competitive, being more sustainable, doing more with less, having a smaller impact on the environment. Yeah. And so we're focused heavily on all of that, a lot of it going through software solutions today. Gotcha. And so, you know, the podcast, Oil and Gas Onshore, obviously a lot of my audience is oil and gas. Yep. And so the, I'm sure the question is coming up and that they're curious about is, is what does Rockwell do in the oil and gas space that maybe listeners might be familiar with? They may not know, oh, that's Rockwell. But I mean, because I would imagine you guys are spread out everywhere and you don't necessarily have your name plastered on equipment perhaps or whatever. But what are some of the things that you guys do in the, in the oil and gas space? We have a long history in oil and gas. We've been helping the industry for many years with control of oil fields and trying to automate that and and getting more productivity out of it. But what's really neat is Rockwell entered into a joint venture with Schlumberger and created a company called Sensia. And this is all they do. We took the best parts of Rockwell. We took the best parts of Schlumberger from an automation perspective and put them in the same offices together and created a company out of it. And they're, you know, really good at bringing the next level of solutions that the industry is demanding from us. Very cool. And, and what do you say next level? Like, what, where do you see the biggest demand? Is it connectivity like you're talking or is there in specifically oil and gas? Is there something unique that you guys are really trying to tackle? I think it's, it's a couple of things. The first thing is getting automation in remote locations. Uh, so there's yeah. a lot of oil fields that have been running for many years and they're still productive. But the level of automation on the well is very low. So trying to bring those up to modern standards allows for a number of things, more productivity, less impact on the environment. Certainly all those things add to the bottom line of our customers. But it also, I think some of the things that we're being asked to look at and we're digging into are next level solutions. So tighter control better optimization, remote connections in so that you could actually run an oil field without ever sending a person out. Yeah. You know, when you drive down the highways in Texas, sometimes you'll see off to the right and the left, you'll see an oil well. But for every one of those, there's tens or hundreds that are 40 miles out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And to get somebody there is rather difficult. So being able to remotely connect in and, and get people to only go where they're needed is a big, big value in the industry. Yeah, no. And, and to be honest, I think not only does it play, I mean, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is an HS&E perspective, right? It's, it's keeping people off the roads, right. especially in West Texas. I don't know if you've driven 
through West Texas. But if anyone has, they know the highways are crazy. There's always, you know, trucks and vehicles that are getting wrecked. And unfortunately, you know, families are affected by this. And so anytime technology and companies like yourselves can provide solutions to keep people off the roads, off the well site, and take them away from critical tasks that can be otherwise automated through technology, I mean, that's just, it's a beautiful thing. And so I applaud a lot of companies for doing that. What do you see the biggest challenge or was the biggest challenge to implement a lot of the stuff within the oil and gas space? Because typically in oil and gas, we're so adverse to change, right? It's, oh, we've always done this. And I mean, I know our company that I work for, we're, you know, we still use Excel and there's a lot of like disconnectivity issues that we're trying to work on, but we're always, because we're in such a volatile industry, we're constantly either hustling to keep up with work or when things go crazy, we're, we're, you know, dismantling the company to try and make sure that we don't have too much overhead. So a lot of the stuff is so cost sensitive. So again, the question is, what's the biggest challenge for you guys in the oil and gas space? And, and how are you guys trying to sort of overcome that? The biggest challenge I see, Justin, is, is when you think about when you're, and you, you set the scenario up perfectly, we're in a rush to get things done. And generally when you're in a rush, you don't follow standards yeah. or you're more loose to, I need something. I got to get this well started up. Give me whatever is on the shelf that gets the job yeah, done. Make it happen. Exactly. Just make it happen. And so a lot of the key issues we have today is that leads to an installed base that is very different. Even on an individual site, you can have different look and feel to different wells operated by the same company. We've also had a lot of companies merging together and you know selling off. And so you get these assets that are coming from another company that had a different philosophy than what you've had, and you've got to integrate that in. So I think the biggest challenge is creating that uniformity to where you have standards in place that you can you can deploy those in an efficient manner. Yes. You think about your people out in the field they got to learn a lot of different pieces of equipment. And the more that you have, the harder that learning curve is. And as we know, a lot of people are retiring today. We have the fastest changing workforce dynamics we've ever had with <laughs> yeah. the baby boomers, right? This is, uh, they're, they're retiring. And so it's creating a vacuum of knowledge and it's getting harder every day. It is. And you really said it well, Is and where I see it is, it's the ability to scale up and scale down Correct. without it negatively impacting your business. That's and, right. And because like you said, and I know I've, I've experiences firsthand. I mean, I got in the industry in 2004, you know, working drilling rigs. And so I've seen, you know, a few ups and downs, of course, fortunately have been employed the entire time. And it's, it's a scramble one way or the other. And then you're either having to train people to get, you know, on board with your systems and processes, or you're having to unfortunately lay people off, but then figure out how to, you know, do more with less. And, but if you can, you know, turn it on and turn it off or, you know, dial it up, dial it down and, and still maintain that level of efficiency, I mean, that's the bread and butter. And so, and it sounds like you guys are a part of that solution, which which is amazing. I would add one more thing that yeah. I think is really important and top of mind these days is safety for their people is number one. We've seen what happens in the news when companies show that they've had an incident and people get hurt, communities get hurt. You know, I, I will say some of the oil and gas companies I've worked with are, are some of the most responsible companies. They're doing everything they can to keep people safe. Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge that we have today is the expectations of what safe is keep going higher and higher. Yeah. So there's more demand on them to do a better job. And it went from no life lost to not even getting a nick on your finger. That's considered a safety incident. It is, it so is. It, it really is changing rapidly. Yeah, There's no. no tolerance for unsafe operations. Yeah, no, it is. And, and especially the way... 
the industry is shifting and there's just so much more exposure. Right. I mean, we're under, you know, I say we as an oil and gas folks, we're under a microscope 24-7, 365. Yeah, someone breaks a finger, I'm sure the news will talk about it and, and how unsafe the industry is. But at the end of the day, to be able to help with that, provide right. solutions, keep people home with their families, that's definitely at the end of the day is what it's all about. I'm curious, and just to shifting away from oil and gas a little bit, how does Rockwell help customers in other industries? It's very similar. You know, when we're getting into automation, whether it's flowing through a pipe or on a conveyor, the constraints are similar. It's throughput, quality, automation, doing more with less. Yeah. So whether we're making cookies with a, in a food factory or we're, you know, producing oil, going through a mine and, and you know, pulling ore out of a mine, very similar challenges, very similar focus for us. Yeah, no, that that's great. And so, I mean, because you guys are involved in, I'd imagine, imagine the auto industry, Brian mentioned medical. So, I mean, anything with moving parts, I guess, yeah. eh? It, basically, where automation is needed. I mean, we're, we're into warehousing now. So yeah. companies like Amazon are using our solutions. I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, it's really, it's interesting to see how automation is spreading throughout the economy. I bet. And so is there a, is there an industry that you guys are looking at kind of through the blind saying, ah, oh, that's that's a market that we need to penetrate. Like, is there any white space out there left? We keep our eyes on that pretty tightly. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the new emerging opportunities are adjacencies. It's not necessarily a whole new industry. Sure. But we're looking at the expansion of our core industries and we're constantly looking on the fringes. What's the next big thing? How do we help make a difference in those industries? Warehousing certainly top of mind right now for us. That's that's one where we're seeing lots of opportunities for our solutions to come to play. I can imagine. I can imagine. I always like to you know talk about, and, and I'm going to switch into another topic here in a sec. But with regards to automation, a lot of you know, very generally speaking, when people hear automation, they say, "Oh, well, robots are in automation are going to take our jobs," right? I mean. What's your response if someone comes up to you and says, oh, you, you guys are taking our jobs? I have a daughter in college and I'm talking to her a lot about this. I'm like, the, the difference between when she's in school and, and for when I went to school is today, I don't think you can stop learning. I, I think today your life will be working, but it'll also be constant education. Yeah. And I think if you can do that, you'll be successful. But jobs are moving. You know, people thought when the car came out, that it was going to take everybody's job as well, and it created more. The difference is you have to be open to what those new opportunities are, and yeah. you have to look ahead. You can't look at today and be, I think that's the difference today, is you you really can't sit still. The times are moving, and you have to, to walk to keep up, yeah. and in some cases run. So <laughs> that's it's, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's what I think. It's you really, you've got to stay ahead of the game, and it's creating new economies. You know, yeah, um, when we start talking about, Something as simple as the gaming industry. You know, if you go over the auto and tire booth, you'll see all the virtual reality and the controllers. And so that gaming technology, what was once for entertainment, is now working its way into how we work. Yeah. People are being trained with that kind of technology now. So it's just a matter of keeping ahead of the game. Yeah, no, it is. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, things are changing. And unless someone's been under a rock or doesn't buy consumer goods, you'll be well aware that global supply chain challenges have affected every industry, yes. you know, since COVID. And, and with that said, there's an interesting topic around gray market that I'd like to discuss. And during all these supply chain disruptions, it's actually created an opportunity for unauthorized sellers and counterfeiters 
within your guys's industry to come up with you know automation products and i think it's extremely important to be aware of and would like to you know either one of you kind of give an introduction as to what gray market is and we can get a little deeper after that i can take that that question all right ryan's been waiting here he's just been (laughs) just sweating he can't wait so yes on to you ryan yeah thank you Well, gray market in general, let me just touch on this, you know, from a definition standpoint. So Rockwell isn't, and this has been the case as long as we've really been in business, you know, we sell our products through, you know, trusted authorized distributors around the world. So roughly 70% of Rockwell's revenue will flow through an authorized distributor somewhere. And how many distributors do you guys have? The exact number, we have hundreds. Okay. So it's not like two or three, there's several. Yeah. And, and, you know, our authorized distributors provide a lot of value to our customers as well. It's one of the things we're known for. So you can think of these as kind of, you know, the people on the ground really close to the customer they you know have our products but also can provide the expertise and the support yeah you know we don't make consumer products we help others make consumer products right so the stuff that we sell is is very you know high tech and you need a good level of understanding to be able to use them and use them correctly so we rely on our authorized distributors to kind of be that frontline you know a face for for our our products and you know we have a very valuable product and we have a very valuable brand and this is and also the you know, being an authorized distributor is a coveted, you know, position in our industry. And so we have a lot of people who have tried to kind of, you know, get involved in, in getting a hold of our products and, and, and trying to compete of you know, with our with our authorized distributors and with Rockwell as well. But really, they sell something that's totally different than, than the value that you get when you purchase something through an authorized distributor. So a gray market is just any sales of our products that's from un- unauthorized sources. There's a number of different ways that unauthorized resellers get a hold of our products. But it's a you know it's been a rising risk risk space for us and our customers. So, so I mean, you you mentioned one word that is extremely important is risk. Yeah. And so I'm curious, what kind of risks associated with dealing with unauthorized dealers? Well, let me answer by saying you know what you get when you purchase something from an authorized distributor. You're going to get a product that is you know has a secured history back to a Rockwell Automation production facility. Right. And so you can be assured that the product is authentic, that it you know meets the quality and safety standards that it was designed to achieve. And it comes with all the non-tangible benefits that come with a, a truly new Rockwell Automation product, a, a Rockwell Automation warranty, you know, customer support, license for firm, or a whole you know, slew of other things. Yeah. When you purchase something from an unauthorized reseller, who knows <laughs> what has happened to that product or where it's been. Yeah. And so if you think of a, you know, a lot of the focus in industry right now around you know, having an implementation that you know, meets all the safety and security requirements you know, that whatever you know, the industry is, is facing, there's a lot of effort put into you know, selecting technology, making sure that the application design is, is strong and meets those requirements. A lot of people don't really think about, well, where do we actually buy this stuff from, you know? And that, and in some ways that you could introduce risks, you know, that would, you know, totally negate all of the effort that you, you put into selecting, you know, your implementation partners or your, you know, suppliers in the first place. So right. we see everything from customers that acquire things that are just, you know, old, have been you know, sitting around in who knows what kind of environment for a long time, may not have the same you know, reliability that a truly new product would have all the way to things, you know, in the counterfeit space where people are misrepresenting, you know, old or used products as brand new rock automation products. And, you know, these types of things come with, you know, all sorts of different risks. Luckily, we haven't seen, you know, a lot in this space, but, you know, from a security standpoint, it's important to make sure that, you know, products that you're purchasing and integrating into your you know, facilities, you know, have been in trusted hands, yeah. you know, throughout their lives. And, you know, that's a, a risk space that we see more important than ever. I could see that. And so how are folks within the gray market actually penetrating the market? And, and is it, are they trying to offer 
similar goods at a lower cost? I mean, what's their angle to getting in the market? So I think it started out, you know, more along the surplus lines. So, you know, there were companies who, you know, either through decommissioning or had excess stock of our products you know, by end users or projects that got canceled. You know, people you know, have a valuable product. It's, you know, well, it's well entitled for those people to offload those products you know, and try to recover some of their costs associated with that. And so what's, what's kind of happened is this kind of surplus market out there of, you know, hey, you know, we're not selling new stuff. We're selling stuff that, you know, is surplus and it probably comes with a reduced cost to you. But there's also, you know, risks in terms of, you know, where it's come from and how old it is and that sort of thing. Yeah. We've seen a shift from that to a lot of companies who are starting to just kind of misrepresent what they're selling as, oh, yeah. as new. You know, so the reality is they were getting things, you know, you know, that maybe is 20 years old has been sitting on a shelf somewhere or something that they may not be aware, but could have been repaired by a third party and then repackaged and counterfeit, you know, packaging. And they just kind of get it in, look at it, say, hey, it looks like a rock automation product. We're going to put it on our website and sell it as new. And then, the, you know, the reality is the customers, you know, assume that they're acquiring, I think as any consumer would, you know, that I assume that I'm acquiring a genuine good. Yeah. And that's where we see a lot of the problems coming in. But we have, we have other issues as well. You know, products get into the gray market through theft as well. We have a very valuable product. So, you know, from our customers all the way, you know, to us as a company, people realize that, you know, the stuff is quite valuable and, you know, try to occasionally try to you know, embezzle or, or otherwise, you know, use the value of these products to benefit themselves as opposed to the companies they're working with. Right. And I could see that. So how are you guys responding to this? We have quite a few initiatives as a company right now. One of the big things for us is serialization and tracking. So, you know, we're doing more than ever to really watch how our products flow to, you know, the kind of end user location. You know, if you look at kind of how our, our products, you know, the value chain that our company would provide to a customer, you know, it flows from us to an authorized distributor, it flows from an authorized distributor to a, a value-added resub, for example, an integrator, a system integrator. You know, it might change hands two or more times before it reaches actually its final location. Yeah. So try to increase the visibility of that, you know, chain of custody is really important to us for, you know, both from, a, you know, providing that level of assurance to customers who are, you know, acquiring our products as well as internally to looking where we might have some diversion going on. Yeah. And being able to, you know, eliminate, you know, gray market sources of products. The other thing that we're doing is, you know, like, as I kind of mentioned, a lot of the unauthorized resellers are really engaging in very unfair and illegal practices by misrepresenting what they're selling and making, you know, false statements around the, you know, history of the products and also, you know, the customer's ability to, for example, get a rock automation warranty or to even be entitled to firmware that might be required to actually even use the product. Right. And so we, as a company, have, you know, been taking up, you know, big players in this unauthorized space, you know, through litigation as well. And you know, taking companies all the way to the mat through lengthy litigation and time and time again, where we've been able to prove that, you know, these companies not only are infringing our rights, but they also, you know, misrepresent what they're doing with regards to the commitments they're making to customers. Oh. So in summary, don't mess with Rockwell. They got a big <laughs> team of legal staff ready to take you down. It's a bad time to be an unauthorized reseller. <laughs> Happy to report that. Right. No, and, and, and it should be, right? Like yeah. it's it's just there's no tolerance for it. And people try and take advantage of the current you know market and, and the way things are going globally. But I have to, you know, kind of take a little bit of a step back and think, so, you know, things are busy. Perhaps there's not as much supply as everyone wants. Well, what can you know, say young Johnny or Jenny or whoever's sitting at the desk who's, you know, maybe got four or five years experience is somehow advanced their way into being in a position of, of purchasing power and just making decisions. How can they differentiate the difference to ensure that they're purchasing or at least dealing with an authorized dealer 
Can you speak a little bit on that? Any red yeah. flag stuff like that? Absolutely. Well, first of all, we make it you know really easy to find an authorized source. You know, so we have a just go to our website. You can go to our partner locator. Yeah. You can find your nearest authorized distributor of Rockwell Automation products, or you could reach out to your local Rockwell Automation sales office to vet you know your sources of supply as well. So very straightforward in terms of you know validating that a source is authorized. You know, with regards to you know from a procurement standpoint, what are the red flags? Well. To be honest, some of them are, are so blatant, such as, you know, unsolicited emails. We see a lot of these coming out from, you know, unauthorized resources around the world, you know, trying to blast communications about, you know, ability to provide rock automation products at prices that are just unmarketable and um, at quantities that are just unrealistic. I can guarantee that these types of advertisements are too good to be true. We've seen a lot of <laughs> a lot of issues come up when when people you know get tempted to go this way. Yeah. From an authorized distributor standpoint, our authorized distributors you know generally work locally and specialize in a particular territory for us. And so a big red flag are you know companies that claim to you know sell our products anywhere in the world. That's not part of our distribution model. And so that right there is is one of the big red flags. Okay. Another thing that people should be aware of, particularly in this time of you know supply chain disruption, is the online marketplaces are a particularly dangerous dangerous place to be sourcing products. So, for example, from eBay and Amazon, yeah, that type of thing. And we're doing a lot of work with those companies, you know, try to get our products taken off to the extent possible. So, I mean, avoid avoid that type of situation as well. Yeah, no, the, the, and those are great points because, like I said, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and if you're searching the market and you're tasked to you know, buy cheap and have it available, you may get looped into something that you're unaware of and then it's too late and next thing you know you're, you know, obviously purchasing something that, you know, otherwise is is not quite authorized and, and you could be in a bit of a not good situation within the company. So I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it's extremely important for people to be aware of. So kind of going back to just Rockwell in general, what, what does the future look like? I mean, what if you cast a vision in 10 years, like what are you guys really trying to achieve? I think we have a theme of the connected enterprise, and I think that's ultimately what we're trying to get to is help with those connection points that I talked about earlier. I think you're going to see a lot more around helping customers manage their assets better, a lot more around software solutions, more around lifecycle services, helping customers go from design and concept all the way through the lifecycle of a project to maintain and ultimately sometimes decommission whatever they're doing. So the entire life cycle of a facility, you're going to see us doing more of that. Okay. Are you guys, and this just popped into my head, are you guys involved with vehicle automation, like self-driving cars? Not directly that I know of, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some elements of our, our equipment in there. Okay. Certainly building those cars. Yeah. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Okay. You know, it's been talked about for a long time, auto, you know, automation in the car industry, and I've yet to see one on the road. So if I do, maybe I'll, you know, probably give you guys a shout out for having something to do with it. If there's a car driving down the road, you can give us a shout out. We had something to do with it. Okay. <laughs> okay, right Whether on. it's not the car, the tires, or the parts making it, yeah. Rockwell is... is Somewhere just, along the value chain, you guys are involved. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, you know, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm curious, Ryan, from your perspective, I always like to ask, what do you like most about your job? And whether that's, you know, culturally, whether it's dealing with customers, when you get up in the morning, what drives you and makes you get out of bed? Well, I'll echo what Mike said earlier. First of all, you know, I've been with Rockwell my whole working career, so maybe I'm a little bit jaded <laughs> in terms of what I'm about to you say. You definitely are. It's okay. Yeah. But, you know, Rockwell has been a, a great company to work for. As I think you've heard, it's an exciting, we're in an exciting position right now with everything that's going on in the world and people trying to do more with less. Yeah. And Rockwell as a company has always let, you know, people like me and others, you know, 
get involved in things that maybe you know we weren't particularly trained for at the beginning of our careers. So I went to university for engineering, but I have been able to work in all sorts of different spaces at Rockwell and product management and project management with customers and now working in this really interesting you know, risk management space. Very cool. For me, I get up and I love my team. I love the people I work with and for, and that's what keeps me going. Absolutely. Pe- people, relationships, and that. Yeah. No, the organizational culture is, is extremely important. Mike, what about you? Yeah. The thing I love the most is, one, is our customers. I just love customers. I, I started my career in sales, and I know that customers are the reason we're in business. If yeah. it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have jobs. Right. So customers, definitely the people, as Ryan said, the culture at Rockwell is fantastic. And they do. They give you a lot of latitude to stretch into your role. We get plenty of assignments that are stretch assignments. And every time they do that, they're showing their trust. They're expecting results, but they're showing their trust. And you get to learn along the way. You, you, it stretches you. It makes you better at what you do. And then just being backed by a company with leaders who have a great vision of where we're headed. We're all bought into that vision of where we're going. And, yeah. and we're excited to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Good deal. Well, I'd like to close up with a couple personal questions just to kind of lighten things up after an intense conversation here. But so, Mike, I'll start with you. Do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success? I wake up early and I go to bed early. So, okay. What's uh, early? 4.35 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. So I like to get up and start my day with some reflection time. And what does also, that look like? You know, prayer, read my Bible, you know, get connected. And then just it centers me. Then I start to think about my day and what I got. I have to get done. And, you know, I believe when we wake up in the morning, we have a decision to make. It's either going to be a great day or it's not going to be a great day. And, and how you start your morning for me is the way that it helps me. So uh, I can start it off on a positive note. That's great. And my sort of motto is I'm very similar in the way that my mornings are very important. And if I win the morning, I feel like I win the day. Absolutely. And so I love that answer. Yeah. Ryan, what about you? I would say that the answer is different given the past few years that we've kind of been in than the answer probably would have been before that. Yeah. And we had a pretty tough series of lockdowns and restrictions where, I, where, where I'm living in London. Yeah. So for me, it was kind of learning how to deal with, you know, working in, you know, at least physical isolation from, you know, compared to what I was used to working. So for me, a big part of my day is reminding myself to, you know, make sure I protect time and get out of the house a bit as well. Okay. So, so what I, does that look like? A, a daily walk. I'm lucky enough to live in a nice area with a you know, park nearby. My daily like half hour walk, you know, disconnect you. is is really important. Seems pretty basic, but to be honest, no. from a mental health standpoint, it's been really important over the past eighteen months. One hundred percent, because I know from my personal experience, you know, when we ended up having to work from home, it was easy for me to sit down. You know, I typically work out in the morning, sit down. You know, whether it's seven thirty, eight o'clock, depending when you know kids were all had eaten everything else. From eight till you know lunchtime, sit and don't even get up, and then quickly eat lunch at the desk. Yeah, work kind of as the same time and then sit there again till four thirty five o'clock. And it's like, I haven't gone up and I literally have like 18 steps in the day. Like yeah. that doesn't, that's terrible. Yeah. So making a conscious effort to go walk. And so my question obviously is, do you leave your phone at home or do you bring it with you? I do bring it with me, but I, you know, just for emergency purposes, I'm trying to really focus on the walk. And Are also you talking about, from work. yeah, emergency as in like your, like your mother passes or emergency as in someone from Walkwell is like, where are you? Well, hopefully not the, the prior, yeah. uh, <laughs> but now just in case somebody really needs to get a hold of you. to contact me. I, as you can, you can see, I work in a pretty unique space. And so yeah. sometimes there are pretty urgent issues that have to be addressed right. that have to be, you know, 
taken care of at the time, but it hasn't really been a problem. I've not been bothered. Well, <laughs> my for walks. anyone from Rockwell that's listening, please give Ryan the half an hour he deserves to go for a walk, please. He doesn't need his phone. <laughs> it's never been a problem from a company perspective. It's like, it's like you said, it's just, you know, making sure that you personally have that time protected. Yes, no, I'm messing with you, but that that's good to hear. I mean, it's so important, like you said, to get out, take a breath of fresh air. And I know for myself, when I go for a walk and, and try and, you know, whether to put the phone on sleep or just kind of disconnect, some of the, the greatest ideas start oh, flowing through my head. And then all of a sudden, you know, again, I have my phone with me most of the time and I'll be writing notes and oh, I had this idea, that idea. So no, that that's really cool. Well, everyone, before we completely log off here, I do want to take a moment about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to share a couple of things for December. First is No Industry Mixer. We'll pick those back up in January. Second, from myself and from my entire OGGN team, we want to wish each and every one of you happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, a wonderful New Year's. Everybody stay safe. We're really looking forward to hitting 2022 with all of you. So thank you for being listeners. Have a great holiday. Have a great end of the year. Great. And gentlemen, Mike, Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure. What's the best way for people to reach out to one of you or both of you to ask questions about what we talked about or just anything Rockwell related? What's the best way to connect? Well, for me, you know, I've got a LinkedIn profile. You know, Ryan Smeglick, I'm the only yeah. one <laughs> that I know of. I'll put all the links and like whether it's handles or sound, I'll put it in the show notes. So LinkedIn's a good one. Yeah, obviously. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Otherwise, you know, within my space at Rockwell, you know, if you can get in contact with your local Rockwell Automation Sales Office, let them know you're looking for me or have a concern around gray market or counterfeiting, it'll Perfect. get to me pretty quickly. Awesome. TikTok handle? No? Nope. I haven't adopted the nah. TikTok yet. I'm a okay. little bit behind on that, um, <laughs> but I am familiar with it. Um, just kidding. To be honest, LinkedIn is like the best shout for social media for me. I, I have Facebook, you. but it's just pictures of Oh, yeah. Cats no. And, I... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Ryan the cat man. Okay. Yeah. Well, and... yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what about you? Same thing, LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best. Uh, I'm on there frequently. Perfect. Great news feed and great way to connect. And I'm joking about the TikTok thing, but a lot of companies are, you know, obviously getting on different platforms, but you're in the marketing space. Do you guys have a YouTube or a Instagram? Or, we do. We, I mean, we have YouTube, we have Instagram, we have LinkedIn as well. Okay. And we constantly are pushing in good information out. Right. Because that's uh, the best way for brand awareness, right? Yeah. So and it's, it's on demand. It's when you want it. It's We get enough email throughout the day and we certainly do send some permission-based emails, but a lot of our information is now on the social media platforms. Perfect. Okay, cool. Well, I'll find them and I'll put the links in the show notes Perfect. for more followers. So, and with that said, everyone, thank you so much. And if you could, please leave a review. If you have any questions, please hit me up on LinkedIn. I can connect you to the Rockwell folks or the OGGN folks. And again, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.